I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, June 6th, 2023, the 867th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So today I kind of want to use the show to catch up on all of the stories swirling around all of the Donald Trump investigations, the Joe Biden investigations, and everything that's kind of surrounding all of that as we watch our two-tiered justice system basically go insane. And before we get started, I want to call your attention to an article our Badlands partner, Just Human, 
wrote last August after the Mar-a-Lago raid, and it's called Templates. And if you want to read the entire thing, you can go to justhuman.substack.com. But I'm going to share with you the conclusion. The article goes through many of the aspects of the Mar-a-Lago raid and the backstory and some of the stories that emerged in the couple of weeks following the Mar-a-Lago raid. And Kyle's thesis was that everything that was happening was providing a template not only for the narrative of things to come, but for the legal machinations of things to come, and that everything going on with the Mar-a-Lago raid would eventually be turned back on itself and turned back on the deep state. And what was happening was that precedent was being set. I've talked about a similar idea before on this show pretty recently, talking about how whatever the rules are, let's just establish them. If we're going to play a game like a sport, for instance, go ahead. You guys draw the lines on the field. Tell us what all the rules are, and then let's go ahead and play because I'm confident that we can win no matter what they set the rules up to be. So long as we have those rules in place. And the problem before this Trump era was that they could basically change the rules whenever they want. And with the level of infiltration into all the systems, They could basically use whatever rules they created to make sure that they always won. And if the rules didn't allow them to win the way they needed to, well, they would just change it or they would work around it. They would play lawfare and run the clock out. But no matter what, they would win because the media was telling the public exactly what the regime needed the public to know in order to go along with their changing of the rules and their bending of the rules and their abuse of the system. So here is how Kyle finished off his article templates. And again, justhuman.substack.com. If you want to read this, it's right there pinned to the front page. He says this raid on Mar-a-Lago, the filter team, the request to appoint a special master. This is all such good news. Think big picture. We now have precedent set for search warrants being served on major media. Project Veritas, a president's former attorney. Michael Cohen, and a former president's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, plus a former president's residence, Mar-a-Lago. A filter team and a special master was used in each. It's a template. Template, a gauge, pattern, or mold, something that establishes or serves as a pattern. A template for how to go after the Clintons, Obama, their attorneys, and the media who assisted them in their crimes against the United States and we the people. A template for how to go after them. The FBI raids were never about getting Rudy or getting Project Veritas, and this Mar-a-Lago raid is not about getting Trump. Contrary to popular conning narratives, the FBI does indeed go after bad guys, regularly, as a rule even. The corruption in the FBI is the exception, and one that is being investigated by... John Durham. That's not to say that anti-FBI narratives are not important. I believe they are crucially important because I believe that the amount of hate the FBI is getting now is proportional to the amount of justice the FBI is going to dish out against HRC and her cohorts. That's Hillary Rodham Clinton, if you're not intimately familiar with those initials. We are building up a wall around the FBI, a narrative defense that will insulate them from future attacks when indictments against deep state politicians, corrupt media, and their cohorts are unsealed. 
when Mark Elias is raided, when HRC is raided, when the New York Times is raided, we will be cheering the FBI and we will reflect on this Mar-a-Lago raid as good news. Now, a lot of people will hear something like that and say that can't be good news. These aren't templates. This is just an overbearing authoritarian police state pursuing its political opponents, violating the Constitution by going after political opponents, by going after civilians and citizens, members of the press and compromising the rights of all Americans. This is the sort of thing that the black pillars out there cling to. This supports their pessimism that things aren't going to work out okay, that all of this is just oppression and it's not ever going to turn back around on them in the future. Now, I agree with Kyle and I think any listener to this show would understand that. I think that things are actually improving every day and have more or less improved every day since the fake president took office, maybe even since January 6th, 2021, maybe even since November 3rd, 2020. And hey, I suppose you could make an argument that COVID had to happen and that that has woken up the world and allowed for all of this improvement. And you could probably go back further too. But the point here is if you are awake or red-pilled, If you have come to the understanding that the mainstream media lies to you, that that is the purpose of their existence to populate and create a false reality that benefits the most powerful people in the world, the transnational corporations that fund the media, the media exists to construct a false reality for you to live in. And in that reality, the powerful And the wealthy, those corporations, the global governing bodies, they're allowed to exert further control. And eventually you will own nothing and be happy. So if you understand that that's what the media exists to do, that they're not there to inform you, to help you make your way in the world, then you've probably begun to look for answers in other ways. And through that searching, you have come to the conclusion for sure that our government is a mess and that the people in our government have been robbing the American people blind for a very long time and enriching themselves and their friends through coordinated, organized, systemic fraud and corruption, political crime on a scale that is almost unimaginable. And almost all Americans know that that's true and have a sense that that's true. I was talking with a friend of mine last night and we were marveling over how people now who are younger than us, we're in our mid forties, that it seems like maybe they don't understand that our government does terrible things. And I'm not trying to cast aspersions on these people. Maybe they are fully with it and they've brainwashed themselves in large part the same way every other generation has. There are people of all ages who have convinced themselves that the government is actually looking out for them. But when our generation was growing up, it was fairly common knowledge that, for instance, the CIA would overthrow the leaders of other countries. That was just something that we kind of expected. Like, yeah, that's what the CIA does in little countries in Latin America or Southeast Asia or Central Europe. 
We expected pointless foreign wars for regime change. We expected graft and corruption. But for some reason, we all just pretended it wasn't in the United States where that stuff happened. Maybe the United States would be involved in it a little bit, but it was mostly in other countries. Sure, we knew about JFK being assassinated and we knew about Richard Nixon and Watergate and numerous other scandals. But we always told ourselves, oh, that was in the past. They've solved this stuff now. Now our government knows what it's doing. And we held on to that even through 9-11 and bank collapses and bank bailouts. And the list goes on and on. For some reason, we've all brought ourselves as a society to this place where we think nothing can ever be done about any of these problems. This is political corruption. It's baked into the system. Both sides do it. We should all just expect it. And because we expect it and can't do anything about it, the best thing to do is accept it. And if you want the life that you've always dreamed of, you need to learn how to operate in that system and take advantage of it because it's not changing. So you have to. And if you want to take advantage of that system, of course, you have to start by rejecting your own sense of morality to allow yourself to play that game. But people are kind of sick of all that and they're kind of fed up with it. And all of it is just so clear and obvious now. And a lot of this has happened since Trump took office. Some of it was already unraveling before that. George Bush after 9-11, the mask of legitimacy and honesty and competence was always a little see-through. We heard that he wasn't legitimately elected in the first place. And then Obama came in. He was the nice guy. He was half black, which meant we could solve racism by electing him. He was very hopey and changey and inspirational. And the media loved him. So they covered for him through all of his corruption over two terms. Then Trump came in and he's the enemy. The media now needs to tell us how corrupt government is at every single level, all because of Donald Trump. Donald Trump was like the avatar. He was the effigy that they could burn and claim that they really care about corruption and graft and favor trading, whatever you could imagine, sex scandals, foreign collusion and interference, obstruction of justice. All of it. You got everything with Donald Trump. He was accused of everything under the sun that you could possibly do in private life and in public life in office. And because there was an active hate movement against Donald Trump, those two things kind of became the same. And everyone who was against Trump began to intentionally try to understand these political crimes, assuming that Donald Trump was guilty because they hated him. So, of course, he was guilty. But they also at least tried to learn everything, every part of the official story, everything the central narrative could tell them about these political crimes and how they work and how the law can be interpreted to prosecute these crimes. The entire time they thought they were getting much smarter and getting much closer to justice, finally doing away with the single source of corruption in American politics, Donald Trump. And once that was done, everything would be happy. The sun would shine. Barack Obama would come back and be president again. The oceans would rise because of, you know, climate change. We would all be saved. 
But the thing is, none of those crimes against Trump have ever been proven at all. In fact, each and every one of them has proven to be a hoax in full. But we know they will never run out of ways to get Trump. Now, Trump is not guilty of all those crimes, but people on the other side are, and nothing could ever be clearer. The Durham report just came out, and no, Durham did not go out and seek to indict anybody, but the evidence that he has put on record shows something else. It shows a government that is fully infiltrated and fully corrupted from the political parties to the intelligence agencies, to the law enforcement agencies, to the judiciary, to the government bureaucracy, the deep state, the administrative state, all the way to the military, to the corporations. Every element of our society has been corrupted and many elements of our society have been complicit either in political crimes against America, selling out the country, money laundering, self-dealing, favor trading, etc., and or the coordination with the global regime to start foreign wars. Again, money laundering, stealing elections, the list goes on and on. There is a lot to prosecute. So if we intend to avoid the black pill and avoid losing all hope, then in a situation like this, what is it we should be optimistic about? And I think Kyle's answer and my answer would be that the path is being laid before you so that those crimes, those real crimes, those widespread crimes of infiltration, corruption, money laundering, favor trading, the whole list of them selling out this country, those crimes can actually be prosecuted in a way that the public will accept. We can tell ourselves all sorts of stories about how Trump should have just taken care of all of this in his first four years in office. He should have just employed the military or whoever it would have taken to round all these people up and then prosecute them and get rid of this problem once and for all. But did Trump in those four years know everybody involved? Did we know the extent of the crimes and how many people were involved in them at a local level? Crimes like election fraud, for instance? Well, it's possible that Trump and that elements of the FBI and intel and military, whatever, knew the extent of these problems. But if I were to guess, I would guess that they've probably learned quite a bit in the last few years. And it's also true that for as long as these organized crimes continue, they end up necessarily involving more people. So the list of who needs prosecuted and for what crimes has continued to grow. Now, the other problem with thinking that Trump could have just handled all of this in his first four years in office is that it would have totally destabilized society in a way that would have been really difficult, if not impossible to manage. And it could have resulted in civil war to the point where we have conflict in the streets all around America. And who knows how that ends up? Do the Democrat stronghold cities become just crime infested Democrat strongholds where Republicans are just gunned down in broad daylight as enemy combatants? Do people flee the cities and end up in rural communities, flooding those rural communities, overwhelming their resources and their ability to handle more people? Who knows what would have happened to society? The truth is that 
people were not ready to see Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton and John Brennan and the like rounded up and prosecuted, especially not while Donald Trump was in his first term as president and the media was accusing him of everything under the sun. Donald Trump was everything from a rapist and a pedophile to someone who had sold our country out to Russia and China. He was incompetent. He was an authoritarian dictator. He was going to bring us to war. He has no self-control, all of it. It would have been very easy for the media to spin that story of Donald Trump rounding up actual political criminals in our country who've committed treason, sedition, crimes against America, crimes against humanity. They could call Donald Trump Hitler or any number of other dictators, and a lot of people in the country would believe it, and they would reject the prosecutions. They would reject the crimes of these people in full. They would believe there's no way any of it can be true. Donald Trump has just made it all up to protect himself and to take power over the country because he wants to be a king. It's all about his ego and his money. You know what they would have said? We've listened to the media for eight years now since Donald Trump rode down that escalator. If you want absolute mayhem in our country, that's how you'd get it. You'd have Donald Trump go try to round up all the political criminals at once with the media telling you all those people are innocent. Donald Trump is some kind of war criminal or something, and no one has any idea of what all of those people are even being arrested for. It doesn't matter that the underlying crimes are there and can be proven that they're all true. People wouldn't just accept that and be like, oh, yeah, I guess they really did commit all these crimes. Trump's right. Thank goodness he's here. They wouldn't do that. And we can look back at the last three years and see the progress we've made in the narrative with people waking up, with people beginning to understand who Donald Trump actually is, what he represents and what he is attempting to do for this country. All of that progress that has led us to this point right now and we are still not totally there to the point where America will simply accept major political figures whose time in the public spotlight has spanned decades being rounded up and arrested and tried for things like treason and child trafficking, for instance. Even with all that progress, people aren't ready for that because we've been told throughout our lives growing up being taught about how our society runs, that the prosecution of political opponents is itself a crime. Just in the abstract, it is unprincipled and immoral to prosecute political actors for their crimes because you can't extract the politics from it, which makes it seem like every prosecution is just being done for political advantage. And in our two-party system, quote-unquote, that we have had thrust upon us by the regime, which is really just a uniparty with a uniparty left and a uniparty right, we're told that the solution is to simply vote the bad people out of office. And if the public's not willing to vote them out of office, then the public certainly doesn't want to see them prosecuted. Now, if we had free and fair elections, there might be some rationality to that position. But unfortunately, we don't have free and fair elections. We have stolen elections. So the result of elections indicates absolutely nothing about the public's opinion on whether or not political actors should be prosecuted. 
And I would suspect that the polling at this point would show pretty clearly that people believe political actors should be prosecuted. And how did we get to that point? Well, from our side of things, we saw Donald Trump as he exposed the hypocrisy of the regime, what the regime actually does, what they set out to do and how they cover their tracks on everything. Trump showed us that. And so anyone who's America first, who's MAGA, who's a Trump supporter, feels very strongly that we do need to prosecute political crimes and punish political criminals. The solution to crime is not vote them out in a stolen election. That's not the solution to crime. We have laws and those laws must be enforced or we don't have a society. And that includes enforcing them on politicians. We're all in that state of mind already. What we're waiting for is for the rest of the country to be in that state of mind. The rest of the country is being brought into that state of mind by Donald Trump through the pursuit of Donald Trump, the get Trump efforts. Those people on the other side are being forced to learn about this range of political crimes. And of course, their view of guilt and innocence has been misattributed, but they're understanding the process and they're arguing for the need of certain types of prosecutions on certain types of crimes. And they have gone so overboard in their efforts to get Trump that now they are arguing even past anything we could possibly need in order to turn this around on the other side. They have Alvin Bragg up in New York creating a novel legal theory and just combining different laws so that he can indict Trump. And he did indict Trump. Now, is Trump worried about that? Of course not. But he indicted Trump, so now it is possible to indict a president. Now the public knows that a president can be indicted and the people out there who happen to support the actual political criminals in this world have spent months arguing that presidents can and should be indicted. Well, when it's Barack Obama's time, Hillary Clinton's time or Joe Biden's time, they certainly can't go back and talk about how our norms are being violated when pursuing political criminals. That whole argument is gone. They all applauded E. Jean Carroll as she sued Donald Trump in civil court for rape and sexual battery and defamation. The jury didn't find for her on rape. They said Donald Trump didn't do that. There was no proof whatsoever that he did. They gave her like $20,000 and said maybe he touched her in the wrong way. And then they gave her $5 million for defamation. Because Trump said that he didn't rape her and they agreed that he didn't rape her. But still, hey, defamation, we got to pay her something. I mean, Reed Hoffman from LinkedIn is there funding her case. We can't just let her come up empty handed. But E. Jean Carroll was involved in the promotion of a law being changed in New York that would allow her to bring her lawsuit in the first place. And everyone out there supporting the actual political criminals argued that all that was okay. If you want the public to be all right and to accept what has to happen in order to solve this problem across the board, then they need to first understand that it's not being targeted at them specifically for political reasons by a bad actor 
like they believe Donald Trump to be. And you're not going to simply talk them out of that. You're not going to convince them that all of their political heroes are evil and must be dealt with, not while they're still hooked in to the central narrative, to the mainstream media, to social media, even to the effect of television commercials and popular entertainment. They're just not going to get all the way there that way. They will get there through the act of justifying it all to themselves so that it can be used against their political opponent. And if they don't get all the way there, they at least lay down a record that shows their hypocrisy in a way that disqualifies them from the conversation. So it's important to note and to remember when you're thinking about all these things that this is what's happening underneath. This is the dynamic that really matters in all of these situations. This is why Donald Trump is going through all of this. This is political persecution, and he is showing it to the world so that after it is done, other people cannot claim that they are being unfairly targeted and persecuted when they are pursued for actual crimes they committed that are well-documented and fully evidenced. So that's the other way to look at all this. And I think that it makes a lot more sense this way. I think all of it makes a lot more sense this way. And with that in mind, let's get started on this article from Friday in the Washington Post. Georgia probe of Trump broadens to activities in other states. An Atlanta area investigation of alleged election interference by President Donald Trump and his allies has brought in to include activities in D.C. and several states, according to two people with knowledge of the probe, a fresh sign that prosecutors may be building a sprawling case under Georgia's racketeering laws. So racketeering, there is a suggestion now of a conspiracy by Donald Trump and others to commit election interference. So the get Trump people the people who are supporting and protecting the actual political criminals in our country, but going after Donald Trump are now begging for prosecutions involving election interference and racketeering and racketeering, of course, invokes Rico, the racketeer influenced and corrupt organizations act. You might remember that Donald Trump filed a civil RICO case against Hillary Clinton and people like Mark Elias and countless others. I think there was over 100 named defendants and others in that case. And I mentioned a couple of weeks ago after the Durham report came out that I thought all of that was being set up eventually for a RICO prosecution of these political criminals. You produce evidence showing the entire conspiracy, the web of corruption and criminality, and you bring the whole thing down at once rather than going from person to person to person to person and hoping that over the next 150 years of lawsuits and court cases and trials and delays and lawfare, maybe you get a third of the way up that chain. That's the method that Rudy Giuliani used to pursue the mafia in New York in the 90s. You prove that everyone was involved in the same criminal conspiracy. They were playing their part and maybe they had their own business, their own criminal conspiracies 
but they were involved in this overarching criminal conspiracy. It's been proven and they all go down at once. That is ultimately what we're going for. And to get there, it needs to be introduced into the public understanding and the public consciousness so that when it happens in the other direction, they're prepared for it. They have argued for its validity. They have attempted to justify it without the facts against Donald Trump. And that's how the ground is laid to get things done. Back to the article. Fulton County District Attorney Fannie T. Willis launched an investigation more than two years ago to examine efforts by Trump and his allies to overturn his narrow 2020 defeat in Georgia. Along the way, she has signaled publicly that she may use Georgia's racketeer-influenced and corrupt organization statute to allege that these efforts amounted to a far-reaching criminal scheme. So Donald Trump, we are being told, Fannie Willis is going to attempt to prove that Donald Trump engaged a criminal conspiracy and had other people violate the law so that he could prove election fraud in Georgia. Now, does that sound ridiculous? Yes, it sounds absolutely ridiculous because Donald Trump's efforts to overturn the fraudulent reported results of the Georgia 2020 election were available for all to hear on the recorded phone call of Donald Trump's phone call with Georgia election officials and various lawyers. There is no crime there. Trump calls it a perfect phone call, just like he called his Ukraine call a perfect phone call. That one worked out just fine for him, even though we were told that his call was absolutely a quid pro quo and that he was compromising our country and our national security turned out not to be true. They're not going to get anything out of this phone call either. In recent days, Willis has sought information related to the Trump campaign hiring two firms to find voter fraud across the United States and then burying their findings when they did not find it. Allegations that reach beyond Georgia's borders, said the two individuals who spoke on the condition of anonymity to talk candidly about the investigation. At least one of the firms has been subpoenaed by Fulton County investigators. And this is one of the favorites of the child-brained communists on Twitter. And I'm sure in many people's conversations in their real lives, they love to say that Trump hired two firms to find election fraud and neither one found it. And that proves there was no election fraud. Man, that doesn't prove anything. It's literally nothing. It doesn't matter at all. And it says nothing about the underlying evidence. If they had produced evidence and said that there was fraud, then we could examine the evidence and it would be still based on the evidence, not on what these people found or didn't find. That's nothing. Willis's investigation is separate from the one at the Justice Department being led by special counsel Jack Smith. But the two probes have covered some of the same ground. Willis has said she made plans to make a charging decision this summer, and she has indicated that such an announcement could come in early August. She has faced stiff criticism from Republicans for investigating the former president, and the ever-widening scope suggests just how ambitious her plans may be. Now, you might remember that it was her investigation that had that grand jury with the little witchy elf lady who cackled on TV. Her name is Emily Kors, 
and her emergence as the forewoman of this Georgia grand jury was such a disaster that even the lunatic Bess Levin in Vanity Fair wrote the headline back in February, what the hell is the Trump Georgia jury forewoman thinking? Now, we might get to a bit of Bess Levin later, and we'll leave her for now. But if she is freaking out about how bad things are going in the get Trump effort, then they're going really bad because no one thinks that Trump is going to be gotten more than Bess Levin does. So the Washington Post article goes on and on, giving you the whole backstory of the Georgia situation, making it sound like Trump did very bad things in the phone call, did very bad things by considering alternate state electors. That was Trump's grand plan. People around Trump were trying to coordinate it. All of that, by the way, is legal, but it's still a crime because he was trying to interfere in the election and he was knowingly trying to have the election overturned. That is what they're going to attempt to prove. And now they're just going to approach it in a RICO, a racketeering way. But here's their conclusion. As the nation waits to see what, if any, charges Willis will seek. One key question is what evidence she has gathered that Trump, his campaign or allies knew about all the different efforts to reverse Biden's victory. So there's not evidence of that yet. But there must be somewhere. And we're waiting to see Fannie Willis's evidence. She must have some that proves Trump, his campaign and his allies knew about all of these different efforts. It was a conspiracy to take away Joe Biden's victory. That is the point we have reached right now. All of the hearings in various states, thousands of affidavits, computer evidence, Video evidence from ballot drop boxes, video evidence from counting rooms. The list of election evidence goes on and on and on. All of that was not evidence. That was just what they came up with in their criminal conspiracy to take away Joe Biden's legitimate victory. That's how this is being framed. They just put it all together. Donald Trump was the mastermind. We're going to get them all and we're finally going to get Trump. The walls are closing in again later. And that's just the first step. Getting to trial and persuading a jury may present even more formidable challenges. Proving all this beyond a reasonable doubt, Christ said, that's going to be the hard part. So they're going to go after this massive conspiracy, hoping to bring racketeering charges. The only thing that's missing is evidence and even the people on that side are a little concerned that it's going to be pretty hard to prove all that beyond a reasonable doubt. And how about this as something to think about? Would you rather be in Donald Trump's position with Fannie Willis going after you for a phone call that the public has already heard and knows is perfect and he says is perfect in the same way that he says his Ukraine call was perfect? Would you rather have that and the way that Donald Trump tried to pursue the claims of election fraud in the aftermath of the 2020 election and all the evidence he has on his side. Would you rather have that and Fannie Willis going after you for a racketeering conspiracy charge without any of the other evidence showing that this was actually a criminal conspiracy in any way? 
with Trump having the ability to defend himself by saying, hey, look at all this evidence that's real and that I didn't manufacture and that I didn't order anyone to commit a crime to obtain. How about that? Would you rather have all that situation or would you rather be one of the people like Hillary Clinton, etc., who was targeted in various investigations that have been going on over the last few years about Russia Gate, about anything else with evidence like John Durham has compiled in his report and through three different trials that prove conclusively facts like, for instance, Hillary Clinton's campaign paid for the generation of the Steele dossier. That's according to Robbie Mook, her campaign manager, who testified that in open court. Or maybe a fact like this, that they have records of a meeting at the White House with Barack Obama, Joe Biden, John Brennan, James Comey, Loretta Lynch, and others where it was presented to them that Hillary Clinton had created the Russia hoax and paid for the Russia hoax in an effort to undermine Donald Trump's campaign. And none of them said a word about it to the American public. They all just went right along with it. Which set of facts would you rather be facing with Rico on the table? I would suggest that it's the other side that's in trouble and not Donald Trump with this mythical racketeering offense generated out of Fannie Willis's investigation in Georgia, where the grand jury forewoman was a creepy little goblin on TV. It's almost like the details of the story tell you by themselves, hey, you can't take this that seriously. Now, while that's going on in Georgia, we have the Jack Smith stuff going on in Washington, D.C. He was in D.C. this morning. We get video of Jack Smith. A reporter was asking him about the investigation. Jack Smith didn't say a word. You know, Jack Smith, just straight shooter, silent, very stoic. We've gotten a million descriptions about who and what Jack Smith is from people who do not know Jack Smith and had never heard of Jack Smith before a few months ago. But we're getting all sorts of reports on what he's going to do and how he's going to get Donald Trump. Andrew Weissman was on TV yesterday talking about it with MSNBC's Lawrence O'Donnell. Why this week? Why do you expect uh, indictments this week? I think that's based on a number of things. But um, if you think about what we saw in the Manhattan case, we were looking to see that defense lawyers were given an opportunity to be heard. That's really the thing that you do in a case like this at the final stage. And we saw the defense lawyers going in today to make their final pitch about why there should not be charges. You know, it is conceivable that that could prevail, but I think, meaning that it is theoretically a possibility, but I just think in this case, knowing Jack Smith and his team and the people hearing the appeal, that it's extremely unlikely that they would be hearing something that would lead them to conclude that there should be no charges. So this is sort of the thing you do at the very end. Um, I also think that there is internal pressure even if they're not sort of admitting it to themselves, that this is a case that needs to be brought, that the American public needs to know whether this happened or not, and it needs to be brought to trial. So this is just not one where you want to dilly-dally. And Jack Smith, remember, inherited this case from DOJ. He's not been on the job 
all that long and has really sort of put his foot to the pedal in bringing this case. I guess the, the only other point I'd like to make is unlike the Manhattan case, where a lot of people have talked about whether Trump would be treated differently if his name were not Trump, here, in a case involving classified documents, it would be a violation of the rule of law if Donald Trump were not charged based on all the facts we know. Just last week, a former Army lieutenant colonel was sentenced to three years in jail by a Florida federal judge for doing something far less than what I anticipate Donald Trump is going to be charged with. So to not charge him, it would really be the antithesis of the rule of law. That's something that Jack Smith knows darn well from his career at the state and federal level and at the international level. And it's certainly something that the people at DOJ are hearing the appeal know about the rule of law and it needing to apply regardless of what the former position is of Donald Trump. So that interview follows Weissman tweeting yesterday a zillion stories about the Trump case. But the bottom line is he is getting charged and it will be in D.C. And this week open issue is whether others may be charged and whether they will be in D.C. or Florida. And you heard his explanation. This case has to be brought against Donald Trump because the American public wants it. And he's assuming, of course, that the American public is what we are told it is by those same mainstream media outlets. And that there are actually all of these people who want to see Donald Trump finally brought to justice for his mishandling of classified documents at Mar-a-Lago that they sort of heard about 10 months ago and haven't really paid much attention to since they know he's in big, big trouble. But at the same time, they've heard that Biden had classified documents and Pence and Obama. There's just classified documents everywhere. And nobody's really told them what those Trump classified documents are. They were supposed to be like nuclear secrets. And then maybe he was selling our classified intelligence around the world. And Weissman makes sure to note that if it is what we keep saying that it is, then Donald Trump has to be charged according to the law. And it must be what we're saying it is, even though we don't know what it is. And even though we've been wrong about what it is countless times, but you know, we got to charge Trump. So we're going to charge Trump. Trump is going to be indicted this time, not by a New York DA. He's going to be indicted by the Department of Justice. He's going to be indicted by the federal government. You might remember that Andrew Weissman was one of the investigators in the Mueller probe. And he said that Mueller was scared of Donald Trump. That's why the probe wrapped up as it did. Weissman, on the other hand, as you just heard by his voice, is in fact very manly and very brave. Ted Cruz, for his part, also believes that Donald Trump will be indicted this week. Sean, it gives me no pleasure to say it. This attorney general, Merrick Garland, is the most partisan. He is the most political attorney general in our nation's history. And he has corrupted the Department of Justice. He has corrupted the FBI. He has corrupted the machinery of government. And they're perfectly willing to use it. It is effectively an arm of the DNC. The hypocrisy is massive. 
And mark my words, I believe Merrick Garland will indict Donald Trump. He wants to indict Donald Trump because he hates Donald Trump. He hates him. He's angry. Merrick Garland is angry that he wasn't confirmed to the Supreme Court. He wants to indict him. I think the plan was to indict him over classified documents. And then he got the enormous problem that Joe Biden seemed to have classified documents everywhere, including in the garage by his old Corvette. I don't think Merrick Garland will indict Trump over classified documents. Here's my prediction. He'll indict Trump over, quote, obstruction of justice for hiding the classified documents. Now, mind you, he's not saying the underlying uh, classified documents were a crime because he'd have to indict Joe Biden, too. He's going to instead create a crime about a non-crime. That's going to be the basis of the indictment. And I think you're right. He will also indict Hunter Biden, but he'll do it on purely personal matters, dealing with drugs and guns and, and tax issues for Hunter that have nothing to do with Joe Biden, because this DOJ wants to protect and insulate Joe Biden and the Biden family's corruption, and they want to use Hunter Biden as a scapegoat to justify targeting Donald Trump. Now, I said we were going to get back to Bess Levin. So here we go. This is from yesterday in Vanity Fair. Report, Donald Trump's lawyers spent Monday begging the DOJ not to indict him. Back in April, Donald Trump experienced a unique phenomenon that, for his first 70-odd years on Earth, he'd managed to avoid. Actual consequences for his behavior. In this case, felony charges for the hush money deals he paid in the run-up to the 2016 election. Not surprisingly, Trump did not enjoy the experience and would no doubt like to avoid it happening again. But unfortunately for the ex-president, that's not up to him, and he may soon be going two for two. Oh, you got him, Bess. NBC News reports that the grand jury that has been hearing evidence in special counsel Jack Smith's investigation of Trump's handling of classified documents is expected to meet in Washington again this week, according to people familiar with the matter. While it's impossible to know if the grand jury will choose to indict the ex-president who is currently seeking a second term in office, the situation certainly does not sound great for the former guy, given that over the course of the last several weeks, we've learned that. One, the Justice Department has a recording of Trump saying he decided to hang on to classified material concerning a potential attack on Iran and suggesting that he would like to share it, but, per CNN, is, quote, aware of limitations on his ability post-presidency to declassify records. So they have a recording of Trump that no one has ever heard, but it is quite damning. In CNN's reporting on that issue. They said CNN has not listened to the recording, but multiple sources described it. One source said the relevant portion on the Iran document is about two minutes long. And another source said the discussion is a small part of a much longer meeting. So very real, maybe. A Mar-a-Lago staffer who helped move boxes at the resort, seemingly at Trump's request, allegedly asked around the time the Trump organization was subpoenaed for footage of the club, quote, how the security cameras worked and how long images remained stored in the system. And you might recall that Trump has said at various times 
They have security camera footage of the whole thing, the whole raid, all of it, and that someday maybe he might release it. Trump attorney Evan Corcoran was steered away from searching for classified documents in order to comply with a government subpoena beyond the Mar-a-Lago storage room, despite the fact that a subsequent FBI raid uncovered classified documents in Trump's office. So, oop, I guess they were hiding other documents. Smith's team has roughly 50 pages of notes from Corcoran revealing, among other things, that he advised Trump against retaining any government documents after the subpoena was issued, i.e. Trump was made well aware of what he was and was not allowed to do. According to CNN, Trump asked if he could fight the DOJ's attempt to take back the documents. Oh, that sounds like criminal obstruction right there, asking a lawyer what his rights are and what he was allowed to do and what he had to comply with. <laughs> Gosh, what a criminal. The National Archives and Records Administration gave the DOJ, quote, 16 records that show Trump had knowledge of the correct declassification process while he was president, end quote, and did not follow it. Well, are we supposed to believe that? Trump is the authority on classification in our government. It's his decision, and he is protected by the Presidential Records Act. Everyone from Trump's pals to his lawyers think an indictment is on the horizon. So that's the big story now. Trump's lawyers went to D.C. to meet with Jack Smith, and we're being told that they were begging for charges not to come. Donald Trump is so scared that the walls have finally closed in. He sent a team of lawyers to beg for the walls to just be kind of held in place for a little while, just a little while longer before they close in. They're telling us that Donald Trump began a truth social posting spree out of pure unbridled panic. Here is what he said yesterday. How can DOJ possibly charge me who did nothing wrong when no other presidents were charged, when Joe Biden won't be charged for anything, including the fact that he has 1,850 boxes, much of it classified, and some dating back to his Senate days when even Democrat senators are shocked. Also, President Clinton had documents and one in court. Crooked Hillary deleted 33,000 emails, many classified, and wasn't even close to being charged. Only Trump, the greatest witch hunt of all time. And he's gone on in the last 24 hours. The Marxists and fascists in the DOJ and FBI are going after me at a level and speed never before seen in our country. And I did nothing wrong. Joe Biden kept keeps thousands of documents in many locations, some illegally taken from skiffs while he was a senator, a big portion of which were classified, some which were illegally taken from skiffs. That is a pretty extraordinary accusation right there, one that I'm pretty sure he can back up. And this is something that had been speculated for a while, that Joe Biden had taken classified material that he was privy to while in secure, compartmented information facilities. He had removed that classified material and taken it with him and that that was what ended up at his residences and may have been sold 
or otherwise transmitted to foreign adversaries, potentially facilitated by good old Hunter Biden. Joe Biden didn't have any ability to declassify those files. Trump is saying he removed them intentionally from a skiff. That's not okay. Donald Trump has not been accused of anything like that. He didn't want to give them back, Trump says, and still doesn't. Nothing happens to him with the same reasonable prosecutor who correctly exonerated Mike Pence. I have a much different prosecutor, a Trump hater. In another post, he says, it's all about election interference. They don't want to run against me. I ran twice. I did much better the second time, getting millions and millions more votes than the first, a record for a sitting president, and am leading Biden in the polls by a lot. They are the party of disinformation. They're using the DOJ and FBI against me to rig the 2024 election. They'll hit Hunter with something small to make their strike on me look fair. Nothing about these fascists is fair or honest. And he writes in capital letters, fight. He goes on. They are also going after me as retribution for the Republicans in Congress going after them. The difference is they have created major crimes. I have created none. And he finally says election interference. Don't let it happen. So Trump's going pretty hard here. He's calling them Marxists and fascists, which, by the way, by definition, they legitimately are. Their political ideology is rooted in Marxism and the organization of the global regime in the aspect where these transnational corporations have merged with global governing bodies and the governments of nations. That's fascism. It's an unavoidable definitional fact. They can't get out of it by saying that they are anti-fascists. He drops the bomb on Biden, talking about how Biden removed classified documents from the skiff. He makes clear that this is about election interference. This is the DOJ and the FBI partnering to go after Trump in order to prevent him from winning the presidency in 2024. He claims that they are doing this for retribution in response to the investigations launched against the deep state and people like Joe Biden and the Biden crime family. In using the word retribution, he recalls a portion of his recent speeches at CPAC and elsewhere where he says he will be our retribution when he gets back into office. And he hammers home the point again that this is election interference. He is covering all the various methods of election interference in every way he can to state quite clearly to the country. This is what it is. This is what it looks like. Doesn't matter what the media tells you. And people are understanding the point that he's making. This point is getting across to normal people. They hear about the investigations from the mainstream media. They are aware that the regime is going after Trump. Some of them are Trump haters and they applaud the whole thing. But if they are not Trump haters, what they are seeing is a pursuit of Trump that is specifically designed to keep Trump out of power. And that violates every normal American sense of justice and fairness. Now, a lot of people have been brainwashed. A lot of people are confused. A lot of people are heavily vaccinated and act and sound like it. 
But for people out there with normal sized adult brains who are fully connected to reality and understanding what's going on in the world right now, they're seeing the actions of a regime, the type of which we have all been told for our entire lives is the sort that arises when a political culture is at its end, when a society is at its end, or when it has been fully taken over. It's illegitimate. It's dictatorial. It's authoritarian. It has no shame in using the levers of the state to prosecute its political opponents, whether they are actually in politics or whether they're private citizens and civilians. All of this is coming to light before the eyes of the American public and the American public is understanding finally what all of this is. So we have all this stuff happening on the Trump side of things. We have the Alvin Bragg prosecution already an indictment in New York. Trump's team is trying to get the judge in that case to recuse himself because of his political relationships with Democrats. We've talked about that on the podcast before in Georgia. We have the creepy little goblin grand jury four woman in Fannie Willis's investigation. That investigation has gone on for two plus years. It's centered around Donald Trump trying to get alternate electors to represent Georgia. He wanted to get the election overturned. He wanted Brad Raffensperger to find one of those batches of fraudulent votes and report that publicly that they are fraudulent and illegal making Trump the winner of Georgia's election. The phone call has been out there for anyone to listen to for two and a half years. Most people have not listened to it. They still think it's a big deal. All you have to do is listen to it and you'll know it's not a big deal. But they're going to try to nail Trump for racketeering, for conspiracy. And then Jack Smith, he's got to indict. He might even indict this week. Trump's lawyers begged for him not to indict, but he's still going to indict. And now Trump is panicking and it might be obstruction because they can't get him on the classified documents thing, but they can get him on not responding to NARA quickly enough. Apparently that is the crime that the DOJ, the U S government, the department of justice and special counsel, Jack Smith, that is what they are going to get Donald Trump on that grave crime. So all of it is ridiculous, but all of it sets precedent because the other side needs to be pursued eventually. Now, a lot of people might think it's not going to happen. I am fully invested in believing it is going to happen. And in fact, it's all of our responsibility to keep pushing until it does happen because it must happen. We cannot have this problem fixed if all of these criminals are just allowed to get away with it all forever. And it's so weird that everybody just goes out and starts tweeting whenever they get some bad news about Trump or Biden related legal stuff. Oh, they're all going to get away with it forever. They're all going to get away with it forever. Hey, it's your responsibility to participate in the process and keep talking about it and keep people's attention on it so that they can't get away with it forever. It's like everybody's just upset that dad won't punish your brother. And that mom won't punish your brother. You told them both what your brother did. Why aren't they punishing him? We don't need to seek authority. The authority is us. Make sure that everybody understands what's going on. And then everybody together 
will be seeking justice together rather than pretending to debunk each other on Twitter about nonsense. These are the sort of things we should be talking about rather than spending eight weeks making Bud Light jokes that weren't funny after the second day for real. There hasn't been one funny Bud Light joke in the last seven or eight weeks. It's not funny. It's not clever. It's just the kind of stuff that you'll hear on the Daily Wire or Steven Crowder or those other dorky shows. Dave Rubin, who's probably still telling Jordan Peterson lobster jokes, might include a Bud Light reference in his episodes. But that's the sort of thing you can come to expect out of people who believe they're stand-up comedians while not being funny at all. But let's flip on over to the other side for just a couple of minutes before we wrap this whole thing up. So last week, Tara Reid, the woman who accused Joe Biden of sexually assaulting her back Decades ago when he was a senator, those are the records that are often referred to as kept under lock and key. Trump even hinted at that in his truth social posts. Tara Reid came out and accused Joe Biden and no one paid attention to her. It wasn't believe women back then for Tara Reid. It wasn't hashtag me too back then for Tara Reid. They just made Tara Reid sound like a nutcase and they basically ignored her. No one went after Joe Biden for any of that. Well, Tara Reid has said that she has sought asylum in Russia because she fears for her life in the United States. And in response to that, reporters in the White House press briefing room asked John Kirby about Tara Reid's claims. Reid, who was an aide to then-Senator Biden back in the 90s and then uh, in 2020 accused him of sexual assault. She announced yesterday she's seeking citizenship in Russia and she feels safer there. Does the White House have any reaction to that announcement given the accusations that she's made against President Biden? We'd be loath to comment on the uh, the musings of a potential Russian citizen. That's really up for her to, to speak to. Does the White House uh, believe that her allegations may have been motivated by her uh, allegiance to affinity for Russia? Difficult to say. Uh, I mean, I, I, I can't get inside uh, her her head and, and, and speak for her motivations and intentions. That's really for her to speak to. The one thing I will say is that the allegations that uh, her life was at risk uh, by the United States government. Absolutely false, baseless. There's nothing to that. So how about that, ladies and gentlemen? Apparently, hashtag me too was only for that certain area. They got all the bad people out of their executive positions at corporations and replaced them with people friendlier to the ESG global agenda And that was enough. Now sexual assault is no longer a problem. Now we no longer have to believe women. Now the press can assert that the accuser is just making her accusations because of her affinity for and allegiance to Russia. And John Kirby doesn't have to respond because he can't get inside the head of someone like that and remark about whether or not it's her allegiance to Russia that led her to make these claims against Joe Biden. He says it's totally ridiculous that she feared for her life, that she would have no reason that the government of the United States would never, ever, ever threaten anyone's life or even allow them to feel unsafe. 
just for coming out against the regime in power. Well, this is from today in the New York Post. Representative Anna Paulina Luna says FBI afraid informant in Biden bribery allegation, quote, will be killed if unmasked. A member of the House Oversight Committee on Monday claimed the FBI is fearful that the informant who provided information alleging a $5 million bribery scheme involving President Biden, quote, will be killed, end quote, if their identity is revealed. Anna Paulina Luna, Republican from Florida, made the allegations in a tweet Monday after Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer and Ranking Member Representative Jamie Raskin were allowed by the Bureau to review the bombshell accusations in the informant file at the Capitol. Just left a meeting for House Oversight. The FBI is afraid their informant will be killed if unmasked based on the info he has brought forward about the Biden family. Luna wrote on Twitter in an interview with Fox News host Sean Hannity on Monday, Comer described the informant as one of the bureau's most highly credible sources and one who was paid a substantial amount of money by the FBI. He said, Comer said on Hannity that this informant has been working with the FBI for over a decade and has been paid hundreds of thousands of dollars by the U.S. government because he is a reliable informant. He's the one saying that he has proof and knowledge of a $5 million bribery involving the illegitimate president. He had been part of the Bureau for 13 years, dating back to the Obama administration, Comer told Hannity. Comer revealed Monday that while the FBI's FD-1023 form containing the allegations was dated in 2020, Information in the document suggests the FBI may have been aware of the accusations as far back as 2017. This particular document was dated in 2020, but there are notes in the document that date back to 2017, he says. We believe that this human source initially informed the FBI of the bribery scheme back in 2017. So my question to the FBI was, what exactly have you done with this accusation? FBI Director Chris Ray has thus far refused to hand over a physical copy of the document to the Oversight Committee, and as a result, the panel will move to hold him in contempt on Thursday. We're setting an example, Comer said, of the upcoming contempt hearing. When we subpoena information, there's a reason why, and we expect to get that information. The House Oversight Committee was created to have oversight over the federal government, and you might remember... Back during that whole January 6th committee and their primetime hearings, we were told that that committee was legitimate, even though it was not set up according to House rules, and there were not people from the opposing party chosen by the minority leader to represent the other party. There was only one side, total kangaroo court. We were told that illegitimate committee could still enforce their subpoenas to the point where Steve Bannon would have to be sent to prison. But now actual House committees properly formed cannot enforce their subpoenas because the work of the regime only goes in one direction. House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan noted Monday that the FD 1023 form, quote, just isn't a document that's in the possession of the FBI. This is a document they created. They had a credible source, one of their good sources, 
who they paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to bring this information to them. And then they create this document. Jordan said, we want to see it. The Ohio Republican argued that the informant alleging the Biden bribery scheme is likely far more credible than British ex-spy Christopher Steele, who authored the infamous dossier against then presidential candidate Donald Trump in 2016 that the FBI used as the basis to launch an investigation into the candidate's 2016 campaign. Comer said Monday that the claims in the informant file are consistent with information uncovered by the Oversight Committee through subpoenaed bank records that show more than $1 million flowed from a Romanian businessman to the Biden family weeks after the then vice president visited the Eastern European nation and lectured government officials about the importance of anti-corruption policies. So they're going to vote on Thursday to hold Christopher Ray, the director of the FBI, in contempt for withholding this document. They say this document is tied up in another matter, and that matter may be one of the other investigations into the Biden family, potentially the David Weiss investigation in Delaware. It could be the Robert Hur special counsel looking into the Biden documents, or it could be something else. But we're going to see the whole thing play out because, again, you have to see the thing play out at every single step in order to set precedent and familiarize the general public with all of these various issues so that when they come back in the future, people already understand what's going on. They understand that the process has worked this way before and that they themselves have argued for the process to work this way in the past, I imagine we will eventually see that document, know what's on that document, know about the bribery scheme for the Biden family and figure out potentially who this informant is. A lot of people think this informant might be Hunter Biden himself, and I guess that remains to be seen. But the reason for withholding some of this information from Congress that Anna Paulina Luna has said they were given is that the informant is worried about his own life and that the FBI is concerned that they can't protect him. So the question is, protect him from whom? Is it from the Biden family? Is it from someone in the government? It's clearly from people looking to protect the Biden family. But that's weird, isn't it? They would go out and try to kill an informant in order to protect their decades of political corruption because they don't want that coming to the surface. But they wouldn't ever even think about killing Tara Reid. That's what John Kirby said. That's all ridiculous. Tara Reid, oh, she was just making up her sexual assault accusations because of her loyalty to Russia. And her life's in no danger. She's just a Russian asset. She is actually a Russian disinformation operation, much like the Hunter Biden laptop itself. And then, of course, you got that J6 thing lingering in the background. All of the crimes and abuses of the J6 sham committee are now being reversed in the public's understanding against various assets and aspects of the regime. We're going to see a contempt of Congress on Thursday, potentially, and these subpoenas that have been ignored. All of the child-brained communists out there, the villagers, the Biden supporters, the election fraud deniers, including the ones on the uniparty right, they all told us that those congressional subpoenas were very, very important when they came from the J6 committee. 
They must be enforced. We have the rule of law to worry about. And now all of those arguments boomerang and they come right back at them because precedent was set, because a template was set. And the J6 stuff is still going to keep coming out. Julie Kelly and John Solomon last week were given access to those J6 tapes and they've started going through them. And John Solomon has begun reporting about a bunch of this. We've seen big headlines the last few days. We saw Nancy Pelosi's daring escape from the Capitol that was, of course, all filmed and dramatized and set up by her daughter who was making a documentary that day. It's been reported that some of the video that was shown during the J6 committee hearings broadcast onto television during primetime, that video was actually doctored. It was silent video and audio was inserted to make the video sound more dramatic and show the video to be something totally other than it was. We have further proof and further video evidence that the doors to the Capitol were unlocked and opened by Capitol security, allowing hundreds of people in. And then just the news reported this about Barry Loudermilk and Loudermilk was the guy who was accused of like plotting the Capitol attack because he had led a tour through the Capitol. He appeared on just the news with John Solomon and my pal Amanda Head. And this is from the write-up on just the news. Loudermilk also revealed that he is reviewing the work of the Democrat-led House January 6th investigative committee that wrapped up its work last year and has found some shocking evidence that much of its public hearings were stage managed. Loudermilk says, what we found out in the documents that I acquired from the January 6th committee is the written script of every member of the committee, just like you would have on a teleprompter or if you memorize a script for a movie. And so every single aspect of their hearings was scripted for a Hollywood type of emotional appeal to the American people. He said Republicans now running the House Administration Committee are taking a different approach to elicit facts, no emotion. We just recently had a hearing with the chief of the Capitol Police. There was nothing scripted about it. We did have certain questions that we wanted to ask, but each member had their questions. The chief wasn't given a script in advance. These hearings from the January 6th Select Committee were Hollywood productions. And I think that everybody probably remembers that they actually had television producers come in to produce the whole thing as this primetime television show. It was meant to propagandize the American public and to cement in the public consciousness a false narrative about what January 6th actually was. They had scripts, Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney and Adam Schiff and all of the other degenerate communists on that committee and their witnesses were reading off scripts. The entire thing was fake. Remember Adam Kinzinger crying with the Capitol Police officers, telling them how brave they were, how democracy was able to stand for another day. All of it was fake. And of course, at the time, we all said, hey guys, all of this is fake. And sure enough, people believed it anyway. And people fought for those positions that all of that fake stuff actually represented reality. It was all a big crime and it all needed to be handled. But it turned out it wasn't. 
So they have done every bad possible thing they could possibly do. They have pursued Donald Trump and America first and anyone associated with the movement in any and every way that they can come up with. Changing the laws, abusing the justice system, creating fake spectacles to foment belief in public understanding. And they still have nothing. The only thing they have accomplished is to convince the child brains in their audience, the villagers that actually still support Joe Biden and deny election fraud, including those in the Ron DeSantis movement, that it is not only appropriate to go after political crimes in this way, but that it is absolutely necessary. They are making the argument to themselves for everything that needs to be done to them in the future. They have drawn the lines on the field. They have set the rules in place. And as my friend Kyle would say, they have set the precedent. They have created a template. And now we are nearing the end of that process where we are seeing everything possible that could come in our direction. We need to get it all. And then once the public understands that, that's when it can turn back around. Now, with that in mind as context, listen to this clip from James Comey over the weekend talking to Jen Psaki and think about what he knows from his position, how all of this would look from his position. You said that Trump poses a near existential threat to the rule of law. And and this is something similar language that I hear privately from national security officials, some people you and I both know who will say this privately about what a second term could mean. But tell me a little bit about the specifics of what he could try to do. What do you mean by that? Well, think about what four years of a retribution presidency might look like. He could order the investigation and prosecution of individuals who he sees as enemies. I'm sure I'm on the enemies list because the president constitutionally does oversee the executive branch entirely, which includes the Department of Justice, prosecutors and investigators. And so he could commission direct that individuals be pursued. He could also direct all kinds of other conduct that people would maybe take to court to try to stop. But who enforces court orders? Mm -hmm. Mostly the United States Marshals Service, which is in part of the executive branch and reports to the president. And so President Trump could say, I don't care what the Supreme Court says or these district judges say. I'm telling the Marshals Service, don't enforce the court order. And so our Constitution really does give a rogue president, which is what this would be, tremendous power to destroy. And so that's why I'm trying to warn people, given the way he said he intends to operate if he's reelected, this will be something we could never have imagined. Again, it seems like science fiction in a way, but it's what another four years of Donald Trump really promises, which is why people criticize CNN for their town hall. I want the American people to stare at the threat that we're facing and understand that they cannot take the next election off. So Comey's tone and his description made it sound like Donald Trump is going to do something very bad. But the very bad thing is what the illegitimate Biden regime is doing right now. What he's describing is how Trump might actually achieve justice for the American people and the regime and its media 
and all of the regime supporting villagers out there have cleared the path for him to do it. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. We lied to you about a pandemic. and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. 
If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!